Welcome to Since You Asked with Jim Barrier on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Send Jim your questions about the Bible and Christianity to jim at cgmradio.com. Subscribe to Since You Asked by visiting us online at cgmradio.com slash ask. And now, here's your host, Jim Barrier. In 1959, Campus Crusade for Christ director Bill Bright developed the Four Spiritual Laws. This gospel tract became one of the most effective tools for evangelism in the 60s, and it is still in use today. It began with this statement, Just as there are physical laws that govern the physical universe, so there are spiritual laws that govern your relationship with God. These laws are rules of action. Moral laws, such as the Ten Commandments, are rules for action. Sir Isaac Newton was a physicist, astronomer, alchemist, and theologian. He formulated the laws of motion and gravity, which affect the physical universe. His third law of motion states that to every action there is a reaction. An example of this is a person swimming. The motion of the hands pushing water backwards propels the body forward through the water. Action, reaction. Scripture reveals spiritual laws that affect our lives spiritually. One of those laws found throughout the Bible is a kind of spiritual action-reaction principle. As you sow, so shall you reap. The following passages talk about this principle. In Galatians 6, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Second Corinthians 9 says, The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The one who sows generously will also reap generously. Proverbs 11 A wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a true reward. Proverbs 22 One who sows injustice will reap disaster, and the rod of his anger will fail. One who is generous will be blessed because he gives some of his food to the poor. Hosea 10 Sow for yourselves justice, reap in accordance with mercy. You have plowed wickedness, you have harvested injustice. Sowing and reaping is found in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first public sermon and often considered the greatest sermon ever preached. It begins with what has come to be known as the Beatitudes. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, the disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit means to recognize 
that on your own you have nothing of spiritual value. This is why we must die to the flesh in order to live in the spirit. When you come to terms with your own spiritual bankruptcy without God, you can receive his kingdom. This simply means you become subject to his kingship. Let's do a little of what I call Bible algebra. Jesus said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom. In fact, you must be born again to even see the kingdom. Then he clarifies, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. He also said, a grain of wheat must die and fall to the ground in order to produce life. Paul teaches in Romans 6 that we must die to the flesh to become alive in the spirit. And in chapter 7 and 8, he says, In my flesh dwells no good thing. Who will set me free from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then even myself in my mind serve the law of God. In my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So we recognize that in our flesh we are dead. We must die to the flesh in order to be born in the spirit. We must be born in the spirit in order to receive his kingdom. Therefore, if we are poor in spirit, the kingdom is ours. That's sowing and reaping. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It is appropriate that mourning should follow death. In this case, the understanding that I need to die to self is followed by my grief in my confession of sin. This is not mourning over the loss of a loved one. It is mourning over the heartbreak we have caused the great heart of God. Second Corinthians says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians also says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. If we properly mourn over our sin, God will comfort us. That's sowing and reaping. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. My mom used to say, If the meek inherit the earth, who will drive the buses? Well, that was mom's viewpoint. Meekness isn't weakness. It is strength that is surrendered or yielded to the master. Moses and Jesus were the only two people in the Bible to be called meek, and they were not weak. But they were in submission to God's authority. They were humble. Philippians 2 says, Have this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant 
and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in the proper time. Romans 8 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And in Ephesians 1, In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. If we humble ourselves and submit to his will, he will give us everything we need in this world and beyond. That's sowing and reaping. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. This is talking about true righteousness. Self-righteousness will never satisfy spiritual hunger. We know that all our righteousness is like filthy rags. So how do we acquire God's righteousness? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the most profound truth in all of Scripture, that holy God would become a man and take on the sin of unholy men so that unholy men could become holy. But you must hunger and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Half-hearted seeking will not produce a full result. We must hunger and thirst with the understanding that nothing else will satisfy. We need to be desperate for righteousness. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. That's sowing and reaping. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. There is a reality in the kingdom of God that you cannot receive mercy if you do not give mercy. After Jesus taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, he went on to say, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. He told Peter to forgive up to 70 times 7. In other words, forgive as much as it takes. I like to say that in your heart there is a door marked mercy. If you bolt it closed from the inside, nothing can enter from the outside. Show mercy, receive mercy. That's sowing and reaping.
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I used to think this meant that if my heart is clean, I go to heaven. But as I grew, I understood that it meant if my heart is pure, undefiled, uncluttered, unpolluted, I will see God wherever I look. I will see him on others. I will see him in situations. I will see him in creation. I will see with spiritual eyes. I will have spiritual vision. How do I acquire a pure heart? Well, it begins by asking for one. David pleads in his great prayer of repentance, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. But there is also action on my part. James 4 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw close to God, and he will draw close to you. Cleanse your hands and purify your heart. Second Timothy says, Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Notice it says to resist the devil, but to flee from lust. Stand against the enemy, run from temptation. As it turns out, there is an eternal motivation. 1 John 3 says, Beloved, we are the children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be like. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. It's not have a pure heart so I can go to heaven. It's I have a pure heart because I am going to heaven. Keep your heart pure and see God. That's sowing and reaping. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Paul shows great wisdom in Romans chapter 12, saying, If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Some people will just not allow you to be at peace with them. Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek, and some people will gladly smite you a second time. No matter how hard you try, sometimes peace with others is not possible. Yet, we must still attempt to achieve it. I believe there is a recipe for peace found in James chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4. Wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, free of hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and meekness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So here are the ingredients of peace. Wisdom from above, 
Godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom. Purity, undefiled, uncluttered, unpolluted by the things of this world. Gentleness. People are fragile. Handle with care. Reasonableness. Not emotionalism and free of your opinion. Mercy. Demonstrate compassion. Fruit. Evidence that you are a child of God. Impartiality. Don't play favorites. Not hypocritical. You know, do as I say, not as I do. Righteousness. Fair and just. Humility. There but for the grace of God go I. Meekness. Under God's authority. Patience. As God is patient with you. Forbearance. Putting up with others. And love. Which in its purest form is just being unselfish. There is also the principle of helping others make peace with God. Romans 5 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for the good person someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And Second Corinthians 5 says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Bring peace to others. Be recognized as a child of God. That's sowing and reaping. The last principle is not so much about our action as it is our response to the action taken by others. It is in the final two Beatitudes. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so we have come full circle to receiving the kingdom of heaven. There are two main reasons that we are persecuted. First, for righteousness' sake, and then second, for being a Christian. Sometimes 
people will hate the fact that your righteousness makes them look bad in their unrighteousness. They hate you for doing what is right. Other times, they hate you because you remind them of Jesus, and they hate him. Persecution in this country does not result in you being executed or imprisoned for your faith like it is in some parts of the world. But it can result in being socially ostracized. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you opportunities. It could cost you a grade on a paper or in a class. It can mean being passed over for a promotion at work. It can even cost you your job. Either way, like the men and women who served God in the past, your reward will be in the future and for all eternity. Paul told Timothy, all who want to live in a godly way in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Living a godly life will bring persecution. Persecution produces eternal reward. That's sowing and reaping. Next week, we will continue with more about sowing and reaping in God's kingdom. This is Jim Barrier on Since You Asked. Since You Asked is a production of Jim Barrier and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash ask. Ask.